We created a love machine. To make it live, the spectator has to work with it, guide it, receive it, give himself in the act of love. With this electronic rod, he will rub its mechanical vagina. Welcome once again to Won't Stay Dead, the podcast that looks at the murky world of cult and horror films. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I, I start every single episode by saying that and then going yay. And when I listen back to the podcast, I constantly say yay after it, and it's just to fill in a gap. And this time I told myself not to say yay, and I fucking did it. And then D said yay oh. again. Every single podcast <laughs> begins with me saying that line, and then I'll say yay. You're the only one that could remember the line. I can never even... I- yeah I, yeah, I get tongue-tied trying trying the line. So, <laughs> okay, well, we um, lost that. Yeah, uh, so I'm joined uh, across the Irish Sea in Belfast by uh, young David Hanna. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sir Crazy of P. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> AKA Paul Dorn. <laughs> This it's, it's been a while, so that's probably where we're, where we're a bit rusty. But uh, this um, episode, we're looking at Ale- Alejandro Jodorowsky's *The Holy Mountain*, um, which is a really weird film. Basically, it's kind of putting it uh, mm-hmm. putting it bluntly. Um, mm-hmm. So we're kind of a bit worried that we might stumble on a on a few things and uh, struggle for things to say. But I think we I think we worry about that at the start of every podcast, and we end we end up blabbering on for about three hours. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we. Stumble around a lot as well. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, things could change. And uh, if if you're the one listener that has made it past this point, then <laughs> you might, might fuck off. Yeah, you might just want to. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, yeah, I suppose we may as well just if you guys want to just kind of give your opinions just very briefly on what you kind of thought of the Holy Mountain. Okay, I think actually maybe we should do a big sort of recap of what The Holy Mountain is in case anybody hasn't seen it I would definitely urge you to watch it before listening past this point though because it is it's a film about based on the tarot I think it was inspired by the tarot myth uh, or the uh, tarot tradition and uh, it's about a a thief who uh, finds a uh, an alchemist and the alchemist basically turns him into one of his protégés and he has a protege from every planet in the solar system, and they all are sent to conquer the holy mountain where the, the enlightened ones have discovered the secret to enlightenment, I think. And they are sent on a, a train and sent on a, a mission to do that. But most of the film is taken up with the background stories of each of those people from each of the planets. Mm-hmm. And they each seem to represent part of maybe the tarot tradition and also part of a, a lot of different sort of mythological traditions. It's basically a film about myth. So... I thought, yeah, I, 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 I mean, it's it's a beautiful film in in aesthetically. It's uh, it's up there with the devils, and I think actually shared set design, uh, set designer with the devils. Um, and if you've listened to this before, you know that the devils is probably the the favorite of all the films we've watched. Um, 
It shares a lot with the devils. It shares a lot with some other movies, which I'll bring up shortly because it's a controversial one. It's a controversial movie. I'm going to suggest it's a big influence on it. But uh, yeah, generally I liked it, but I had to watch it three times hmm. to sort of get the gist of it. I think probably most people, gathering from what I've read elsewhere, most people do the same. Dee, what did you think? Um, yeah, it's sort of a very confusing film, I thought. Um, but like, it does look stunning. But I think like the, the lack of narrative makes it because uh, I, I didn't feel that there was a like a proper coherent narrative. But that was done on purpose, obviously. Uh, uh, it's still enjoyable though. Uh, but it's one of those ones that uh, I think it's fair to say that's more enjoyable upon reflection. Uh, yeah. If that makes any sense, um, yeah. Because I did, uh, I think, but this is my own fault now. I've, I've discovered that I get quite impatient when I watch films at home. Sort of struggle to watch it all in one go because I did turn it off and come back to it. But uh, I think that's just like me these days, though. I don't know if anybody else gets that now, but I think it's because of laptops and smartphones and things yeah. like that. No, I, if, I, yeah. If right. I was in a cinema, I, I would have. I think I would have uh, absorbed it a lot more. But, uh, but no, I, I still like enjoyed it but find it a bit of a struggle at the same time. That's yeah. the best I can really say about it uh, before we start discussing it. Um, well, it's it's a Tuesday night, but uh, I, I, I do have two beers. Uh, do, do you guys have any beers? No, I, I, I was drinking pretty heavily over the weekend. So <laughs> I'm abstaining. I was like yesterday as well. So. Young Crazy P? I do. I've got uh, three. Got them all Marks and Spencers because I uh, it's the nearest <laughs> beer to my work. So uh, I have Italian Lager Pure Mountain Water nice. uh, from the Italian Alps. Uh, it's it's got a picture of a mountain on it, which doesn't look particularly holy, but you know it's from Italy, so where the Pope lives. So um, <laughs> can't get much holier than that. I've also got Sirachi Sirachi. Uh, I've never been sure how to pronounce it. Is it Saison? Yeah, Saison, Saison. Yeah, and it I got it because it has a picture of four playing cards on the label, and playing cards are similar tarot cards and their cards and they tell you know they provide a fortune to some people uh, and uh, rather than tell your fortune and I've also just got an American pale uh, pale ale because it's really nice have you tried these we Mark Spencer's Harbour Brewing American pale ales they're absolutely amazing they do an IPA and, uh, they're really cheap as well cool not that I'm uh, you know, advertising Mark Spencer's but uh, <laughs> they're very very good <laughs> I drink a lot of these. You bloody love Marks and Spencers. <laughs> it's it's either that or buy from the stupid fountain down the bottom of the street. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I've got um, Hobgoblin Gold. I had a bottle of that, which I was saving for. We'd scheduled this podcast what, about a month ago, and it didn't happen. And I had a bottle of that set aside, uh, and I drank it. I actually got a really good selection of beers for that recording, and then uh, we cancelled on the Friday, <laughs> on the Friday yeah. night, and I drank them all that weekend. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and my second one is uh, Hop Fiction. It's, it's a Brewdog beer. Um, oh, yeah, and I got that because um, as we learn at the end of the film the whole thing is entirely fiction um, <laughs> so just opening it uh, cool so yeah I guess we'll have a few beers and be back after this congratulations you made it to our shores oh this deserves a toast you're not the first to come to Lotus Island in search of the holy mountain you are excrement you can change yourself into gold You're not afraid of falling. What frightens you is climbing. You're clear us against the mountain. You're terrified of success. Give yourself to the world. 
end of our adventure. Nothing has an end. We came in search of the secret of immortality, to be like gods. And here we are, mortals, more human than ever. If we have not obtained immortality, at least we have obtained reality. We began in a fairy tale, and we came to life. But is this life reality? No. It is a film. Zumba camera. We are images, dreams, photographs. We must not stay here, prisoners. We shall break the illusion. This is Maya. to the holy mountain real life awaits us cool yeah so uh, as said this um this episode we're looking at alejandro rudorovsky's holy mountain 1973 and um, we've kind of discussed it a bit but um yeah we were kind of saying that we were, first of all we're a bit rusty because we haven't recorded anything in a while and second of all um i'm a bit rusty because I, because i watched this film uh, a while ago and in the last podcast paul whenever you had kind of selected it I had said that I'd seen it before, um, and it turned out I hadn't. But it was basically right. because in university, my friend he got them off his um, off his brother. I think there was like this this I think they were pirated copies or something because I've subsequently yeah. learned they weren't they weren't actually available in the UK at that time. Um, and he had the Holy Mountain and he had El Topo, so mm-hmm. I just kind of I was convinced that I'd seen them both, uh, and I think and I was kind of like um, imagining the two films, but. Every, sing- every single memory that I had about the Holy Mountain turned out to be an El Topo. And then as I was watching the Holy Mountain, right. I was thinking, yeah. Jesus, I don't remember any of this at all. So I've only seen it once, and I saw it like three or four weeks ago, because as, as we've said, the podcast kept, kept getting delayed. Uh, and I think I may have forgotten a fair amount of it. But also, like what you were saying, Dee, um, when I was watching it, I found it really, really difficult to kind of keep my attention. And I found it a bit of a struggle to watch. Um I'm not convinced that I enjoyed it. I think maybe like if someone said to me, "Have you seen? Have you seen that this film?" I'd probably say, "Yeah, it's brilliant. You should watch it." But at the time when I was watching it, I was just kind of thinking, "Jesus, how long's left in this?" Like, um, but like I'm, I'm I'm probably doing it doing it a disservice. Um, I think it is a good film, but uh, but I think like he asks you to do so much work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he, he, yeah. like you're just constantly having to think. I right, so what's that symbolizing? You know, okay, so so why is he doing that? And it's just it's also expressionistic, and um, obviously, like reading like Yudorovsky was really have was like really in the mime at the start of his career, and like the, yeah. I mean the, the the first like twenty minutes of the film, like no one says a word. Like whenever I was trying to go back and 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 get clips, you know, to play, um, it's like twenty minutes in, and I still hadn't got got a clip because yeah. no one says anything. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so so everything's kind of everything's kind of symbolic, and it's not like a kind of slasher film. It's like you have to do a lot of work, really, don't you? I I don't particularly mind that. I, I like that occasionally. I wouldn't want that every with every ex, like cinematic experience, but definitely I, I I do enjoy it time to time. But uh, as like as you say, you know how long you're watching, you're going, how long is this? But it's actually not that long. It's like it's mm-hmm. less than 
it's like an hour and a half. It's yeah, maybe it's slightly more. Pretty short. <laughs> and I, I kept, I, I knew a few people who'd seen it, and uh, I was talking about it when I was when I first bought it and stuff. And they were like, "Oh, yeah, it's really, really long." I think it was on you about it, and you said it was like a couple of hours. And this other guy worked like, "Yeah, it's about three, three and a half hours or something." And I watched it, and I got to the end. I thought, "Shit, I've." I've been ripped off here. I've only been given like half a movie or something. And I looked it up and I was like, no, it's actually meant to be this long. This is, it's nuts. And I told the guy I'm working, he was like, no, that's not right. I mean, it lasts forever. And I was like, no, it doesn't. It, doesn't. it just, just really feels really, really long because so much happens. Um, I think that's uh, why it seems so long because of the, the plot. Like it, it feels like there isn't really a, a, a proper one. Like there is yeah. this talk about going to the Holy Mountain, but it's just broken up constantly between all these yeah. different sort of... Uh, Almost like art house uh, scenes. I suppose like, yeah. I've seen it described as vignettes as well. But, uh, I guess yeah. you could fit a case for that, especially with the, the bit at the start with the, or not not the very start, but when you join the guy who looks like Jesus. Yeah, the main character. Like that's just bizarre. First time I ever heard of this movie, a friend of mine was DJ, and he said he asked me had he had I ever seen it, and I said no, no idea. It's about seven or eight years ago. And uh, he said uh, he was he was using it as visuals. Um, for DJ said he was doing it as uh, you know lifeboat bar in Belfast. Uh, I don't know if you remember it, but it, it was like a wee, it was like a, a cross between like a, an old man bar, a hipster bar that uh, was just beside McHugh's, and it was even smaller, and there were always dogs running around, and it's full of old men smoking and. Uh, like the odd, odd hipster DJ and stuff, but uh, he said he got chucked out during the middle of a set, chucked out of the bar for using it as visuals. Um, and uh, I was telling another friend about this, and he said, "No, that's that's not quite true. There's there's just one one dick that they're all friends with who likes to complain. <laughs> bar staff to get his friends picked on, and uh, he kicked out the and they kicked him out. So it wasn't wasn't quite the story I'd been told, but." Uh, it's still pretty funny because he got his friend kicked out. But. Yeah, because when I was watching it, because I remember you said that last episode, and I was watching it, and afterwards I was thinking, what was the what was the bit that that got Paul's friend chucked out of? Yeah, well, apparently he kicked the other guy uh, kicked off about all the religious Im- imagery, but uh, apparently uh, yeah. he wasn't actually that that offended by it. He was just just being a dick. So see, that's the I thing. Suppose there's. Oh, sorry, uh, I was going to say there's scenes of rape and stuff in it as well. Yeah, uh, which could be controversial. Yeah, defos. I mean, yeah. I suppose if you're using that as kind of visuals for a DJ set, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it's 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 kind of interesting that that he kind of picked up on on the religious imagery because it just goes to show how how symbolic the film is because there's nothing really overtly religious in it. I mean, there's the kind of criticism of religion, but um, when when you well, look, when you kind of look back the, on it, there's like all the stuff like um, turning the poo into gold. You know, that can be like you know kind of yeah, transubstantiation and. And, and and the guy at the start is obviously Jesus, isn't he? Or he's, he's, well, he's supposed see, to, be yeah. to look like Jesus. Was, I think he's meant to look, but he's he's meant to be the thief. But I think he, I think it's it's he sort of forms the basis of like of a load of different myths. Um, it can be interpreted which myth he's represented. But but also there's that whole like Christ for sale thing as well, where they're selling all the like yeah. like crucified versions of him and stuff. And he eats one. <laughs> he eats. <laughs> uh, they they use his his body and face to make a big plaster cast thing of edible Jesuses for this, mm-hmm. this unnamed religion. And uh, he frees or what is it? He destroys them all and then he eats one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like made a cake. Or it looks like it's yeah. made a cake. Yeah. <laughs> it actually looks quite nice. But he, he eats himself, <laughs> doesn't he? Like he, he, eats, well, yeah, the, he, he eats, eats the thing of himself. 
But is it supposed to be a critique of like a commodification of uh, religion as well, possibly? Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Uh, I would say so. Yeah. It? It's just there seems to be a lot of uh, like analogies to, to various different things, but as soon as that becomes a bit more obvious with all the uh, the what's the name for the the characters that he introduces them in in character to like one one's a head of the police one's like a toy oh, yeah uh they are uh oh let me see we've got a list of them here somewhere but yeah one of them's like a like a weapons manufacturer one of them's a toy manufacturer yeah. <laughs> one is... i think i suppose with those guys it becomes a bit more obvious uh you know that he's making commentaries on certain aspects of society yeah but, yeah uh, I suppose with other things, like it's hard to sort of tell where he's going, and I think there's a few uh, like different readings into in, in certain things. Like the, I read a, a pretty interesting review actually, and I was going to ask you about this, Ian, because you are the English literature graduate. Um, mm-hmm. Someone compared it to the Tempest and said there's a lot of stuff in there which uh, I haven't read the Tempest or seen it. I've never read The Tempest, and to be honest with you, uh, as far as kind of literature is concerned, I think uh, Crazy P is a, a far, far uh, more oh, yeah. avid, avid reader than me. I I'm not sure of that, but I have uh, I have, but I can't really remember a huge amount about it. Uh, it was like ten years ago. Uh, hmm. I mean, I know that I know the the Tempest is about like a, a magician who lives on an island, and then the characters get yeah. shipwrecked on the island. Yeah, it's also the I basis think... for uh, what do you call that movie? Planet Forbidden Planet. Uh, yeah, also because I'd read something about um, like in the Tempest, the main theme is like transformation, and I think in the end it's supposed to be like the Holy Mountain. Uh, because remember the at the end, as I think Ian mentioned earlier, there's the pullback and reveal, yeah, of uh, the camera crew and everything. Where I think in the Holy Mountain, it's all supposed to be like kind of uh, made up as well. Like there's the element that it might actually all be in someone's head and stuff. Yeah. I mean the 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 symbology and the kind of imagery in the Holy Mountain um, is ultimately pretty pretty. You'd probably say it was pretty left wing because it's kind of it's anti religion, it's anti consumerism, it's anti it's kind of anti police, it's anti corruption, um, it's kind of anti politics. It's it's kind of it's it's basically kind of bringing together all the shit things that that humans do to each other, um, and it's kind of shown really well in the um, the woman is describing how they make toys. And how they like? Yeah. They like if the if the government decides that in the future they'll want to invade Peru, then they start they start conditioning children by making Peruvians the enemy and naming like really horrible things after the capital city Lima and yeah and like yeah, they, that's right <laughs> making like what is it like they make something that's like the same color as as the Peruvians skin and things like that yeah. it's all really weird and then you've got like the police chief who's obviously a mentalist and yeah like for very very like. All, all the kind of disciples, like they're all basically the, the, the really horrendous, greedy, corrupt aspects of humanity, and and then you've got that that scene where the where the frogs are killing each other, and it's 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 obviously supposed to um, be the like the the Spanish going going over to to yeah. colonize America. It opens with uh, with like a sort of fascist executing uh, students by the by the looks of it, or some people anyway, and I mean this was like nineteen seventy three. Uh, when Pinochet took power in Chile, where Gorbachev was from as well, so um, I think uh, there seems to be like a very, very direct sort of social critique as well at some point. But yeah. uh, I don't know if uh, that was maybe maybe coincidental. If, I don't know what, are the exact timescales. 
Yeah. It's the fact that like whenever they're whenever they're gunning down the tourists or whenever they're gunning down the students, all the tourists are standing around taking photos. Yeah. Like kind of yeah. sna- <laughs> like snapping them like uh, like tourists. It's, yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. I suppose that's a, a like a reality these days as well, which uh, I, I sometimes find a bit shocking. Like you, you know, whenever you see on the news someone is a, uh, actually there's a good example doing the rounds today. Of, I think there's two fellas on a tram in Manchester, yeah, uh, racially abusing some fella. But it's just strange that someone actually got their phone out. It's, it's not really something I ever think about if I see something you know well bad yeah. happening. I, I never really think to get my phone out, but I suppose like that's what people do these days. Yeah, people get a phone out and and not intervene. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I suppose then the idea is that their video can be used as evidence. But I know. I mean, whenever whenever I was watching that that video, I'm sure by the time this goes out, everyone everyone will have seen it. When I was watching that video, I was kind of fantasizing about going up to that guy and <laughs> grabbing the back of his head and continuously slamming his face against against the wall until his <laughs> nose is broken. Um, yeah. <laughs> but whether or not I would actually do that at the time, whether you know whether yeah. I would just kind of keep my head down and go, oh shit, uh, yeah, you know, you just don't know, I suppose. Yeah, I but think it, yeah, it's it's always very easy to say that you think you would do something, but I think like, yeah, I know. fear, like fear, can kind of take over as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, like uh, yeah, like the the holy mountain kind of um, kind of t- touches on those things, and I suppose ultimately it's it's it's. It's kind of that classic um, idea of um, enlightenment, really, isn't it? It's the kind of it's like almost like Faust or something like that. The kind of like classical kind of German literature, you know, where yeah. it's about like one guy, you know, you know, it's almost like Nietzschean in that respect. You know, like um, it's like one guy, one guy on on this journey for for enlightenment or or for to yeah. reach a higher presence and the things that he'll have to discard along the way uh, in mm. order to reach that. Like they've got a they've mm. got a all the disciples have to throw um, wax models of themselves into the big fire, and they've got to burn all their money. Um, and they and they do, do they all shave shave off their hair? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I mean, it's completely escaped me. But at the start, when the two ladies are being having their heads shaven off, it's like they're supposed to be like Marilyn Monroe. Like yeah, a, that's a, totally a, yeah, they're, they're supposed to look like Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, and so when the alchemist is shaving their heads, it's like symbolically kind of stripping them of their kind of materialistic, superficial, earthly yeah. desires, and only then are you free to go on this quest of enlightenment. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of an analogy for that at the minute within contemporary society with, the, the I would say, the fitness sort of movement, uh, which I think is becoming a lot more popular. Like, I I don't know if you guys have noticed it. Like, I think a lot of people I know, or friends and things like that, are focusing on you know a healthier aspect of their lifestyle. But yeah, it means yeah. sac- sacrificing certain uh, enjoyments. Like, you can't have a big chocolate cake in the evening. Yeah, you know, because so, so really. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but, yeah, but no, yeah. it, it does indicate the, the this sort of sacrificial uh, search for uh, making yourself better in the eyes of everybody else as well uh, so there is a societal aspect to it like it's not just I, I want to better myself no it's because you want to better yourself in the eyes of other people yeah uh, I believe but I, I think that's possibly part of the is it like do you think that's part of the film as well like that's its critique of society in that respect a lot of these things you seem to take on a number of different levels so there's like the outwardly sort of spiritual level and then there's also the sort of tongue and cheek sort of satirical level as well saying like these guys also just look like idiots, and uh, yeah, these uh, guys are 
are doing this, but they're doing it for very shallow reasons as well as doing it for very pure spiritual reasons, you know. So he, like he seems to be very aware of, yeah, I don't know, he seems to be very aware of the, the intentions of, of all these, how all these myths are used and stuff. Like, he's, he's fa- apparently he's fascinated by myth, and this is his whole thing. He thinks that myth can can heal the world, I think is what <laughs> exactly how you put it. In an interview with with The Quietest recently, which was really interesting, but also kind of made him sound like a spiritualist crackpot. (laughs) So he's got this sort of two-pronged thing. I can't tell whether or not I think he's great or just sort of of always distrustful of people who sort of seem to have a monopoly on on truth, you know, and anything that they make that claims of a monopoly monopoly on truth, which is what I thought this was doing at first, but now I'm not so sure. I think maybe he's, he's a bit more clever than that. Well, it's interesting. I think that you raise uh, Nietzsche again as well on on your point, Paul. Too like just with the yeah. I'm not sure. Am I reading Nietzsche right in the sense that the whole idea around myth or religion was to secure the foundations of morality? And I guess that's why he came up with the phrase "God is dead" and we've killed him. You know, yeah, and went on to explain that without sort of religion, we we don't really have any basis for for morality in a way. It's, it's going to be an artificially constructed uh, reason for uh, either way, uh, for having some moral base. Um, well, I, I don't know about that uh, aspect of Nietzsche, but I was just kind of thinking of um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. I think that's that's kind of one of those um, novels about kind of the the individual. And it was basically kind of stuff that I, because I studied German at uni and like I read a lot of the kind of the, the German romantics. And there just seems to be this this uh, obsession in in German literature of that of that era about kind of individual people seeking enlightenment, and then you know kind of the classic example is is Goethe's Faust and and all the things that Faust gives up. He signs a deal with the devil and and all this kind of stuff to 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 achieve that. But it's interesting because like I, I remember I, I was um, uh, in my last job, I was on a we were on a trip, we were on like a like a like a we had to go to like a trade show basically, and. Um, I was with like three of the sales guys and we were sitting having dinner after the show and they two of them were, were proper Christians. One was like a born again Christian and the other was just was freed from County Cork and just raised in a very traditional Catholic family and he, he still was you know, traditionally Catholic basically. Um and they they said they asked me they asked me something and it completely and utterly threw me and it was basically um if if you don't believe in God and if you don't have a religion, then why are you a good person? <laughs> like, like the point, that, the, the, the point that they were making was um, the only reason that I'm a good person, the only reason that I don't go out and like get prostitutes every night and shoot up heroin, the only reason I don't do that is because God tells me not to. And that's what keeps me in the straight mm. and narrow. So what's, what's the incentive for you to be a good person? And I just, I just kind of said, well, you know, ethics and like the fact that I wouldn't want someone to do something bad to me means that I don't do something bad to anyone else. And if they just looked at me as if this was completely alien, I just like, what? What are you like? What? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. That's what sort of scares me about certain aspects of Christianity, though. That it is just, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but there's a magic man in the sky that you know stops you from doing all these things. Yeah, yeah. And like, you've got yeah. to ask yourself, you know, who who's the better person? Someone, someone who is good throughout their entire life, believing that they will die and have no reward, or someone who's good throughout their entire life so that they can go to heaven and get rewarded at the end. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, or, or so yeah. they don't go to hell. Yeah, like the only reason you're not beating people up and robbing people and being really greedy is because you think you'll get punished for it, whereas I don't think I'll get punished for it, but I'm still not doing it. So, 
you could argue that like I'm more Christian than you. Plus, I think there are a lot of people out there who say they're more Christian than certain other ones, even Islam at the minute. So it, it, there seems to be a problem with that. In terms of uh, radicals, uh, would say that I'm more Muslim than you, yeah. so you deserve to die. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. In fact, uh, which is unfortunate. In fact, it, it, Islam's actually quite a good parallel to draw because at the moment, or maybe no, yeah, at, at the moment we're still in Ramadan, and um, the 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 area that I live in has a lot of um, African and Caribbean and Pakistani and Indian people living nearby um and so whenever i get the bus um home there's there's always like lots of lots of different people lots of i, I hate using the word immigrants but you know what i mean like lots lots of immigrants basically mm-hmm. and i heard this uh, woman um explaining to her her white friend there's a, a a muslim woman what what ramadan was about and it was really really cool because i was kind of sitting taking it all in and listening to her and um <laughs> she was kind of saying like it's, it's not just about like um giving up food it's not just about fasting it's like you also, for example, during Ramadan, you probably maybe like not listen to music, not watch movies, not um, play computer games because you're supposed to be trying to be a better Muslim. Um, and it's not just about fasting. During Ramadan, you also have to go out and like um, do charity and things like that, uh, or like you know do work for the community. And if you if you by mistake for whatever reason eat eat during during daylight during Ramadan. Um, you can either wait until the next fast and add uh, add an extra day on, or else you can for each day that you miss the fast, you can prepare a meal for for a person in need. Um, yeah, cool. You know, so like the whole sacrifice was just a, it wasn't just about self sacrifice; it was kind of about making yourself a better person and in their yeah. eyes, in their eyes a better Muslim. I'd be really hungry and <laughs> <laughs> I get so grumpy during the day. Daylight, like I know. And the, the thing is that it's, it's um. It's like based on the um, like the Islamic calendar, so it it gets eleven days earlier every year, which is why at the moment <laughs> it's in the middle of fucking summer. But you know, yeah. like if it's kind of like late December, it probably wouldn't be too hard. Would yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you can friends. you can hydrate though. I think so. Um, I, I I don't know actually. Um, because nailed by mouth is that include water? Uh, uh I did I did know that a, a few weeks ago because like. After that conversation, I was fascinated, and I and I read loads about Ramadan. Um, no, I think during the day you can't drink water. No, you can't. You can't. You you can you can put water in your mouth and swirl it around and spit it out again, but but you can't drink it. But anyway, yeah. So like all, all those all those kind of all that, that kind of religious fasting. I mean, it's 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 kind of core to to Yudorovsky's um, thing because it has the whole thing about stripping stripping off all your your your, your materialistic earthly desires in order to achieve enlightenment but then the real zinger at the end of the film is that it come it it zooms back um Yudorovsky plays the plays the alchemist and he kind of tricks them all and then the camera zooms back mm. and goes and he goes uh, oh um no this is all bollocks actually uh like you know like uh, the, the holy mountain is or forget the holy mountain real life awaits so like enlightenment yeah. is in real life like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to achieve enlightenment through cinema, and, and these characters aren't supposed to achieve enlightenment, enlightenment through this. You're supposed to just go out and enjoy your life and, and live. Like, is that is that what we're supposed to take from it? I think so. Yeah. I think he's starting to say, I mean, this is, you know, ultimately a parable. This isn't going to do anything for you other than possibly inspire you to go and chase chase enlightenment yourself or something. That uh, I don't really know. I don't even really know if, if, if the enlightenment is... I don't think the enlightenment he's talking about is an actual spiritual enlightenment. I think it's just a, a general... I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't really. 
I, I'm not really sure where exactly he he's going with it or if he's going in any exact place. But I think uh, it's it's an interesting scene. I actually had a theory that maybe I thought it was possibly inspired by Blazing Saddles. Remember the end of Blazing Saddles, where they break the fourth wall and they end up in a different, literally break the fourth wall into like another studio and uh, it becomes a different movie altogether. And then it goes back. Uh, have you guys seen Blazing Saddles? Yeah, but years ago, uh, I yeah, barely remember it. And at the end, basically, it's uh, the the big sort of shootout sprawls over so much, so, like some ridiculous amount of territory that it breaks into another studio, and they're doing like a they're doing like top hat or something. There, some you know big musical with uh, a load of load of really camp guys like dancing around in the fountain and stuff, and uh, it uh, becomes yeah, it just becomes a different movie altogether. It becomes the end of end of a different movie, and then it switches back to. Blazing Saddles after you've you know after they completely dismissed the idea that it's, it's fiction, but Blazing Saddles actually uh, came out a year later apparently. So uh, which oh, just okay. sort of but but I did have another theory of an inspiration for it. Which uh, tell me if you think this is nuts. But um, okay, so this other movie was made two years before, and I think it shares kind of a little bit of structure with it. Uh, and it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What do you okay. think? <laughs> because I can see it, what you mean. Um, the bit that first made me think it was similar was okay. So they have all the vignettes of all the different characters in Holy Mountain, different characters going uh, through all their their home lives and their different planets and stuff like that. Um, and that is really similar to I think in Willy Wonka, where it goes through all the different sort of uh, kids and they're all despicable, like the kids in Holy Mountain or like the characters in Holy Mountain, and they they basically then go in this epic quest where they're all kind of like stripped away of stripped of their, their greed and stuff like that and basically Charlie is the only one with without any he's the only pure one really so he's he's the one that's rewarded but it doesn't really work out the same way but the second time I watched it I was like yes this is definitely <laughs> this I'm right and then I, I told a friend of mine and he was like yeah yeah I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure I, I read that somewhere that that is an inspiration and I've never I googled it endlessly and I've never able to find <laughs> any sort of so I don't know if he has read that somewhere, somewhere really obscure. Or... <laughs> I love that when you've got to like Google something really obscure, and you've got to think, how the yeah. fuck, how do how do I Google this? <laughs> yeah. Alejandro Jodorowsky, Holy Mountain, Charlie, Chocolate Factory, similarity. <laughs> Enter. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, uh, that was pretty much it. What it did, but uh, I got nothing. The the film that it, um, the, the film that it reminded me of is uh, a Mario Bava film, which was made in 1963, Black Sabbath, um, which is like a this is like an anthology. Um, th- three or four different stories. They're all they're all pretty creepy. In fact, um, the first one is about this woman who is attending a dead body and steals something off the dead body. And you you keep kind of uh, you keep kind of um, getting this notion that 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 the dead body is alive. And like Bava just kind of keeps teasing it, and then at the very end of the of the bit, oh holy crap! I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. the very end of the bit. Like the door opens. <laughs> And like the the dead woman is just standing there with like this massive grin in her face and just starts floating towards the woman who robbed her of her thing and it's just fucking terrifying. But like the the, 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 the very last um the, the very last story in that film is actually um it, it uh, Boris Boris Karloff is in it and at the very end of the film I think I think it's him he he's riding on a horse um at the very end of the film and um then suddenly the camera pulls back 
and because it, 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 he's he's been like riding through forests, and you can see all the trees going past him, and then uh, the camera pulls back, and you re- and the, the horse is just like this horse's body mounted on like you know like a piece of technical equipment, and uh, members of the crew are like run, running around him in circles with branches, making it look like he's <laughs> riding through the forest, um, uh, and. If if I try and kind of if I try and um, say what that's supposed to symbolize, I will literally be making up making it up on the spot. I've absolutely no idea, but that that's what that's what it, that's what it reminded me of. And it'd be interesting to see to find out what was the first film to do that. What was the first film to break the fourth wall? I'm sure there's some really early examples. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't know what they are. Like. I mean, because it's probably like some Dana's movie or some probably earlier. Because it, I mean, because it was being done in. Um, it was being done like like by you know uh, Brecht would have would have done that you know his whole uh, yeah effect you know making you aware that you're watching a play um, yeah. you know, things like that so I suppose theater probably did it first but but I wonder I wonder was Black Sabbath the first the first film to do that yeah um, was that by our time when was that written Thornton Wilder think... Paul do you know when th- when our time I'm not sure when it was written I think it was maybe. I would guess maybe the tens, twenties. I'm not 100 yeah. sure. Yeah. It does. Maybe it, 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 I can't remember. It, it actually does that in the start. It doesn't pull away at the end. It, the, from the very, the very oh, first okay. character, the very first character we meet is the stage manager, and he comes out and tells us he's the stage manager, and that we're about to watch a play, and this is and who the characters are, and what's going to happen. And I think I think oh, he, okay. I think he appears throughout the um, throughout the play. Finley does. Yeah. Yeah. 1938 actually. I think my favourite example of the fourth wall being broken is uh, Gremlins 2. I that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's amazing. Are they, it's, isn't it a bit where uh, uh, your man Ebert uh, is criticising the film? Or get cuts <laughs> yeah. to Roger Ebert? Yeah. And then the Gremlins, I think they attack him because he's going on about how terrible the film is and stuff. Yeah. And then when they attack him, uh, the, I think people in the cinema at the time are getting annoyed, so they get Hulk Hogan to sort everything out. Because <laughs> he's, he's sitting in the crowd. <laughs> The first time I'd ever seen it done was when I was about eight, and it was my cousin's birthday, and we went to see Dracula in the Lyric, where Dee now works. And at the end, it was it was it was like a very kind of campy version of Dracula. We all thought it was amazing, so we were eight. And um, at the end, Dracula comes over to Tannoy and says, uh, uh, "I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, please see me after. I'm hiding in the women's toilets." And everybody's like, ah! <laughs> "Everybody shit themselves," and we were all fucking. We were all, all boys, but we were trying to like try to dare somebody to go into women's toilet to find Dracula. <laughs> yeah. We did her. Could you do that now? Weird. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> would, try would, that, would that be done now? <laughs> a, big, a, a big announcement over this thing saying, "Oh, you'd better not go to the into the women's toilets because there's a vampire there that's going to eat you." <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that. I don't know. Was just thinking. Coming back to the uh, the point we're on about the, the, the pullback and everything, and then uh, the director saying, now go off to the, the real world. Because, you know, the, what is it he says about film? Um, um, hang on, I've got it here. Hmm. <laughs> uh, we began we began in a fairy tale and we came to life. But is this like reality? No, it is a film. Zoom back. Uh, <laughs> we are images, dreams, <laughs> photographs. We must not stay here. Prisoners! I'll break the illusion. This is magic. Goodbye to the Holy Mountain. Real life awaits us. Mm. I think, like, on that, I think there's a good comparison. And I think I've maybe talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, There's a point, like, Zizek that uh, makes in reference to 
uh, like if villains can be considered like left wing and things like that. I mean, like obviously they can, but uh, you know the sort of the. I guess people see certain films like I don't know. You could take Ken Loach for example because they're easy ones to look at. So you could use those as like uh, left wing propaganda to like get people to you know rise up and help society more. Or yeah. But I think his his point is that film doesn't actually do that. It sort of uh, acts as a, uh, a fulfillment in a way. So yeah, it, yeah. I see what you mean. It, yeah. it, it does the left wing action for you, and you can sit yeah. there and be content that. There are other people that feel like you and not have to do anything about it. It's just the yeah. at the end. You're almost like, I'm I'm so super left-wing. I watched Battleship Potemkin last night. And that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, I suppose yeah. like because most Ken Loach films, I guess, would kind of uh, be like that, maybe. Um, that yeah. he is a big lefty. Like, so. yeah. But I, I was wondering if that's maybe what uh, uh, your man thinks then, uh, Jadorowski. Like, if that's his point, maybe. Possibly, yeah. He seemed... In, in this, this interview with the, he did with The Quietus, it was, it was... I don't know, it was weird. It was like, he, was, he seemed quite funny, but in, a, in an awkward way. It might have been, like, a language barrier kind of thing, but um, I think his, his English is, is pretty pretty good. But uh, he... Uh, I think the interviewer at one point was, like, just started to find the whole thing really absurd. And he says, uh, Yodorowsky was sort of... Uh, Almost sort of preaching a bit about the about the power of myth to heal the world and how his all his films came together in like a sort of healing process for for the sort of soul of man kind of thing and stuff. I would generally think that this guy's a wanker, this guy's a follow follow or something. But um, <laughs> but uh, he stops. Yeah, I think they're skyping actually, and he stops to <laughs> turn and shout at his family for making too much noise in the background, and he's a big reason <laughs> of his family. And uh, <laughs> the interviewer says something. Uh, like not not in the interview, but like in in the following copies or something like uh, uh, the healing process is, is very complex. <laughs> At that point, like some, I don't know. He obviously thinks right. This guy is actually just kind of full of bullshit. But I don't know how much. I don't, yeah, it, it it seems to be more complicated, more complex than that. The thing that made me sort of distrustful about about Holy Martin initially was I'm distrustful of anything anything that seems to have a sort of monopoly in truth. Yes. But also anything that claims to actually do something to you, rather than lets something happen to you. You know, it the Holy Mountain, on first viewing, seems to like have an explicit sort of agenda for the viewer. It wants to do this to the viewer, whereas and generally a piece of art will let the viewer decide what it does. You know, where it, what it wants to use it for. You know, and I suppose that's, that's, that's the whole point of like modernism and stuff was that. Mm. Uh, the artist could express themselves in whatever way they want, and it could be taken in whatever way the viewer wanted, you know. Uh, but with the Holy Martin, it doesn't seem like it's doing it. It seems like it's taking you on a journey, more like a sort of biblical parable, or, you know. But then at the end, Yodorovsky seems like he's aware of that and is wary of that, and that's why he maybe tacks on that metafictional ending where he mm. he has to say, "This is don't forget, this is fiction. You know, go and, go and do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> uh, did, did you guys manage to watch any, any of Yudorovsky's uh, other films? Nah, I literally bought El Topo and then I went back to buy it and it was gone. And then I tried to download Secret Blood. Is that Saint Blood? Is that what that means? 
Yeah, or holy blood or something, or sacred blood, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I I couldn't find it. I'm not very good at Dungeon stuff legally, mm. <laughs> or or legally. Either. Yeah, I I didn't watch any 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 new any new ones that I hadn't seen. But I, I did go back, just for kind of research, just to remind myself, I did go back and watch El Topo and Santa Sangre um, and definitely, definitely preferred El Topo and Santa Sangre to the Holy Mountain. Yeah. It's just far, far, yeah. far more accessible, far far more linear yeah. and, 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 and easier, yeah. to, easier to kind of understand and, and, and kind of pull apart. Um, and I think out of those three, my favourite is, is Santa Sangre, which is, I think, is, I think it might be like 1991 or something like that. Um, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It stars his son. I think it's his son. Um, right. And it was also, um, I think it was either Claudio or Salvatore Argento um, had a had a say. And I said this in the last podcast, but um, he was kind of heavily involved. And and the murder scenes are just the murder scenes are just lifted from from like a like a Dario Argento film. It's just like it's bits of it are just could you could swear it was Suspiria. Just like the light yeah. and, and and the kind of. Um, the kind of like artistic wave kind of violence is portrayed. It's, it's just, it's, I think that maybe that's why it's my favorite, my favorite Budovsky uh, yeah. film that What's, I've seen. I was going to say that's an interesting point, sorry, as well, in um, the depiction of violence, because uh, there's a good bit in Holy Mountain, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, I can't remember which person it is, but there's a scene, it might be the head of police, where they're like beating up students and stuff, but when they beat them up, like it's all sort of ridiculous, like confetti comes oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that, but I, I I thought that was quite interesting. Like he was maybe trying to make a commentary on uh, the depiction of violence itself. Yeah, and like so. Like a lot of films, obviously, go for. I think these days, especially, sort of hyper realistic. Uh, like if you saw Green Room at all, it was uh, very hyper realistic. Uh, it's really incredibly violent. But uh, I think like most films, like horror films, I suppose back then would have gone to tri- like even with uh, the likes of Tom Savini would have tried to get as close to the the actual thing as is possible, but it's still yeah. never like real life. It's still sort of absurd in real life because I don't think anybody's used to it, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like if it, any anyone's ever observed a fight, it's it's not what you see in the film. No. It's just this really weird, bizarre sort of pounding of flesh. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. People just take punches to the face like it's nothing. Yeah, and the, the noises are always different. Like in the cinema, obviously, it's big, big, like clashes and bangs and stuff, whereas in real life, it's just like a quiet thud most of the time. Yeah. yeah. But, but I think like maybe that's what he's trying to point out, that it is weird and ridiculous and sort of absurd when you see it in real life. I, I try to think about that a lot and what, what it could mean, and I think that's probably definitely the most sensible. Hmm. I mean, idea. there is also perhaps, well, maybe not actually, but I was going to say there is also maybe the um, the kind of just like like the the practical aspect of it. So first of all, he doesn't have to bother with gory special effects, and second of all, he doesn't have to yeah. he doesn't have to worry about it being um, being being censored or or being banned even. Um, but you know, considering considering he kind of like he shows a rape scene, and there's there's various bits of nudity and kind of they they talk about sex and sex and and, and defecation and, and genitals and things like that so so maybe maybe kind of yeah. to, toning maybe toning violence down wasn't actually something that he was kind of concerned about i don't know yeah they um, do boil the sh- boil the shit until <laughs> it and then like and then uh, like deliver deliver the steam version of that shit to <laughs> yeah. the flesh of that thief that's horrible yeah. Actually, the most horrible part of that is the seeing the, like the thick sweat on him. It looks like greasy sweat. 
what's, what's the line? Um, <clears throat> you're you're excrement, but you can turn yourself into gold. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, but then, like the end of the film is saying, "Ah, oh, no, don't worry, you're not actually excrement. You're fine." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't try that. Yeah, don't try that. Uh, um, but yeah, like Santa Sangre is actually interesting because it it also does depict religion. So, um, it is about um. Now let me get this right because I've just said how simple and kind of how linear the narrative is, but I'm struggling now to kind of piece it together. So, so this woman is the start of the film is set in a circus, and this woman is um the head of religious cult, kind of just like a like a fictional religious religious cult. Um, and the state is obviously against the religion because I think state troopers come in and bulldoze their church down and she goes back to the circus and she finds her husband who's the circus master the massive fat guy is having an affair with this kind of uh, you know tattooed lady you know like circuses old circuses would have had a tattooed lady basically Um, so she throws acid on the guy's genitals as he's having sex. I can't remember what happens to the tattoo. They know she, she survives that. She, she survives that interest that that, um, that thing, and then he uh, cuts off her arms as punishment. But then he dies from his wounds, um, and the wee boy. Painful <laughs> death. The wee the wee boy ends up in a I want to say mental asylum because I can't remember the the name of that place that isn't horrendously offensive but you know what I mean like an institution. institution and uh, he he grows up and then he eventually breaks free and he goes out and because their whole life has been showbiz he um, he and his mother go around and they have this show and the show is basically his mother is doing all the stuff but he is her arms so he's, he stands behind her and plays the piano and throws the knives and catches all the stuff and it's kind of so they're, they're kind of working working together like that um, and uh, a, a mute girl who he fancies when he's a kid, he meets up with her again, and she she's being she's being pimped out by the tattooed lady, um, and then she eventually fights back, and the tattooed lady gets killed, I think. So they join forces, they go off to do this thing, they keep doing doing their act, and then at the very end of the film, there's a big twist. Do do, do you want to tell me what the twist is? Okay. Oh, no, I want to watch it. Okay, I, want to <laughs> I do want to watch it. I, I you have me at circus. Cool. Um, it was it, it was a film because I, I I used to write um I used to write do reviews for this website called uh, subtitled dot com, um, and they used to just send me stuff, uh, and sometimes you'd get something fucking brilliant like I got like the the Arrow um Blu-ray remaster of Zombie Flesh Eaters, um, and then other times you'd, other times you just get weird stuff like like I I used to get Tinto Brass stuff sometimes, um, and then. Uh, I got that, and it had been years since I'd heard of, even heard the name Yudorovsky, and I was like, Jesus, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, this is absolutely phenomenal. So, because I got a press copy, I'm assuming that means it's out there somewhere, available to buy in the UK. Okay. So you should be able yeah. to find it. cool. Cool. Did they ever send you any Franco? Yes, they did. <laughs> they sent me uh, the, the Bloody Judge, which is... Um, oh, okay. Which is a Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee was in that, and uh, Maria Rom, oh. Maria Rom, a, a German actress who was in loads of Franco's films. It's it's brilliant. It's really really good. It's like a, it's it's really really Hammer esque. It's it's set actually. It's actually quite funny because it's set um, it's set in the time of like uh, King Billy, you know, like uh, William of Orange. Oh yeah, uh, okay. And it's all like it's all that kind of stuff. So they keep talking about like 
King William coming to what is he? What was he trying to do? Was he trying to get rid of the Catholic King James? Is that what it was? Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really Something funny because like whenever I'm watching, I, I can just picture like in you know, Belfast the twelfth, you know, the twelfth of July. Oh, sorry, it was, was it Charles? Was it sorry? My history wrong. Charles remember. was Charles was was the English Civil War. Well, uh, yeah, he was executed, but then yeah, and Charles II was it? Was Charles II his son? I can't remember. I, remember. <laughs> I know a guy who's actually writing a novel about this, but I told me about, about a great length, but I can't really remember what he said. But did did you guys not manage to watch uh, or no? Yeah, because like, what, what what was the story with June? I don't, yeah, know. June, I don't think it got made because um, there was because I, I I always remember like the the uh, title is um, Alejandro Jodorowsky's June. And so I always yeah. I always assumed that, that that was just June, but Alejandro Jodorowsky's film. And whenever I was actually doing research for this podcast, I realized that that Alejandro Jodorowsky's June is actually the title of a documentary about the fact that he tried to make oh, the yeah, film yeah, and yeah, didn't yeah. end up getting made. I, I, I've never read June, but I'm, I'm assuming you I have, have Uh I, I actually tried to, and I find it a very tough slog. Um, it was just, uh, I think it was the writing style. I just didn't take to it. And it was one of those ones I sort of put down and never picked up again. Mm. It's fucking yeah. massive. Um, I'll have another crack at it someday. I, I think a lot yeah. of people told me that they find it the same as well. Like, I don't know. There's certain like sci-fi readers that like love like massive amounts of detail and mm. and like you know, yeah. I'm not not mad into that. Yeah, I prefer it when the the narrative just starts straight away. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but I've I, seen the film. Like, I mean, I, uh, it gets a lot of uh, stick, but I actually quite enjoy it. Yeah, big silly campy affair, like you know, it's uh... yeah, and the, the acting's so so wooden, but it <laughs> yeah. it's like it, it, it it's meant to be, obviously, you know, for some reason. I'm not sure why. It's but it's kind of enjoyable because it is kind of bad. Like I think that's where I get my enjoyment of it from, just because it looks amazing as well. Yeah. But, uh, and it does look stunning, some of the special effects in it, for the time, yeah. anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, I, might, I have to watch it again someday. Yeah, I was actually, I was just reading there, actually, um, because whenever we were, I was going to try and, like, whenever we were preparing for this, uh, I obviously, uh, like, I went to try and find uh, a copy of The Holy Mountain. Um, and I, I remember remember I was saying about how, like, it, it hadn't been available. Um, so me and my friend in Glasgow we'd we'd watched like a, a a copy that had been downloaded and burnt onto a DVD disc and I would just remember that there that like actually I think it was because um like the guy who had produced uh, El Topo I think got pissed off with Yudorovsky and so because he owned the because he owned the rights he stopped he prevented it from being released out of spite or something like that. Oh yeah. So yeah so okay. the, so like the guy's name the guy's name was Alan Klein. I think he was something to do with like the Beatles label. Um, yeah, he was the manager or something. Wasn't something he? like that. Like, yeah. Or... So this is just this is just lifted from Wikipedia, basically what I'm about to say. So it says like um, Alan Klein demanded that Yudorovsky create a film adaptation of Pauline Riage's classic novel of female masochism, masochism, the story of O. Klein had promised this adaptation to various investors. Yudorovsky, who had discovered feminism during the filming of The Holy Mountain, refused to make the film, going so far as to leave the country to escape directing duties. In, retali- in retali- retaliation, Alan Klein made El Topo and The Holy Mountain, to which he held the rights completely unavailable to the public for more than 30 years. Um, and Yudorovsky mm-hmm. frequently decried Klein's actions in interviews. Soon after the release of 
I know actually it doesn't go on to say anything more about that, but yeah, so like um that's why it was that's why it was un- unavailable for so long. Right, okay. Um because <laughs> this guy had taken exception to the fact that Yudorovsky didn't He wouldn't wanna... make story of That's yeah. weird. Somebody did make story of didn't they? I think. Probably something shitty version. Um <laughs> the what you were saying earlier about uh, John Lennon uh donated money to the IRA, which I think is true. He uh he also I'm pretty sure he also donated money to Yodorowsky. Uh, didn't he? he donated possibly yeah, him and Yoko Ono was supposed to play. Yeah, yeah. I think it was because they because they loved El Topo, so they they wanted to, to uh, fund his next film, which was which was the Holy Mountain, and I think that's why yeah. it's kind of its budget was its budget was so big. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you can kind of tell because some of it does look visually stunning, look, but. Um... Yeah, so, you know, especially some of the set design. You know, when he first goes up into the sort of uh, how would you describe that, like the tar, tar thing? Yeah, what do they call it? They've got a there is a name for it in like an article I read. It's got a problem, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Right. is it called like like an, an an obelisk or something? Yeah, I think that yeah. might be. Let me see. Uh, thief is it's one of those uh, words uh, that I uh, that I always see and I never bother. <laughs> yes, serious <laughs> obelisk. Yeah. It is mysterious obelisk or obelisk. I've never sure how to pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the sets are incredible. Like they and the obelisk, they're they're I don't know, they're huge. And, and I mean, obviously, like it probably wasn't. It's, it's probably a lot to do with like camera, like really, really good cinematography as well. But it's Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. they're that big, colorful. Um, there's there's one scene where he's like he's naked and he's like approaching the end of like a really colorful room with like striped. Uh, there's actually there's there's a, a really famous painting that's like a massive wall and it's in uh, the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam and it's like a massive wall that's like just massive multicolored stripes down it and it's fucking incredible when you're actually standing in front of it and it looks it's it's similar to that I'm not sure if I'm not sure which came first or if what if either of them were any any way directly inspirational to the other but it's same sort of effect it's just like fuck this is this is beautiful you know you watch it on a big screen it's Oh, yeah, be, I, I think it's one of those films that probably would benefit from being watched in the cinema. Uh, yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, uh, you, you feel a bit more absorbed by it. I think. Yeah, but, I was just just looking up the um, the BBFC website there to look at uh, El Topo and the Holy Mountain, but I can't actually. I think it it looks like El Topo was was cut when it was originally um, um, submitted for classification the BBFC, but it doesn't actually give any details of the cuts, and it's the same with the Holy Martin. I can't really. Sometimes the BBFC website is quite sketchy. You can't actually find out what what's going on because I'm because I know it was like like the uh, <laughs> the, the version of El Topo that I have was um, was released by Tartan, who while while they were still going, were just brilliant, just releasing so so much foreign language stuff, um, mm. and they folded quite recently, or maybe about ten years ago. But uh, yeah, they released it, and 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 their kind of their their tagline in the front of the DVD was like you know released uncut for the first time ever kind of thing. So it, I mean, El, El Topo was was obviously was obviously cut, uh, and I would imagine um, the Holy Mountain probably was as well. I love. I find it very endearing how how much you you love the PPFC website. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you've you probably referred to it more than I've referred to anything else in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's pretty it. good uh, website though, isn't it? It's really good. You can read loads of case studies yeah. about like um, yeah, yeah, like how they deal with films. Like you can read read like the 
the exam like the letters and examiner's notes for like Last House on the Left really? and um I Spit in Your Grave and things like that. It's amazing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, I know uh Mark Mark Kermode always goes on about it like he uh he loves it. Classic BBFC. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, like like you were you were you were talking about the set there and and, and the kind of the, the, the cinematography and um I mean that that for me is, is really kind of I think that's what I take most from the Holy Mountain. Is it's just kind of mm. his vision and, and and the aesthetics about it. Um I think like um the the narrative and any kind of subtext, I think it's just lost on me, and um, I, I I don't even really feel the need to try and pull it apart or or, de- or deconstruct it. I, I I think I just enjoy, you know, the the visual thrill of watching it. Yeah, I think like to a degree, uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, Cannibal Holocaust, but I, I think it was not 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 like uh, I, I couldn't really compare it properly. Uh, but it's more just I think the aesthetic uh, aspect of it, and maybe the music a bit as well. Yeah, that's sort of slightly like would you describe it maybe as slightly folk, soft rock kind of music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, I, I, it's quite nice and relaxing to listen to, especially with the like the visuals you're given as well. And I suppose with yeah. Cannibal Holocaust, it's obviously all foliage in the end, and you know a lot of nature, which I suppose you get with uh, uh, Holy Mountain as well towards the end. Anyway, there's a yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah Cannibal Holocaust has that sort of like that sort of over the top. Like satire, and it's got a, a very, very particular pitch of satire that I think you do get in the Holy Mountain. You're right. Yeah, it's like a, it was just a sort of a, a very vague, uh, like you know, the, the the what reminded me of it. It was all very vague, nothing solid. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, that's that's very much, yeah, what the movie's like. It's uh, <laughs> everything about it is very vague. Hmm. Uh, we're going to this by yeah. Skype, and in everything behind you's gone really dark. It was really bright. Yeah, <laughs> it's really creepy. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that as well. It's really weird, isn't it? It's it's because you're Bristol. Like the, the the sun sets really early. I've noticed in the south of England, like it sets really quickly. Yeah. I, I think is that is that true, or is that something I, I always because when I'm in the south of England, I'm usually drunk. Is that <laughs> <laughs> just to get through? <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably should have noticed that. Like, in, if I'm in London, like, I, I look up and the sun's there, and I look up and it's gone again. Like, what the fuck? But in <laughs> Belfast, like, like it, it, you still sort of see like the sky sort of blue, like you know, at like one a.m. this this time of year. Like, uh, just, just anyway. kind of, we're just kind of approaching twilight with me anyway. No so, sun. Is there any sun in your opinion? I think. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Forfeited our record. Um, well, before we get dragged into talking about the EU referendum, um, I'm going to take a pee. So um, we can either listen to uh, the alchemist's speech at the start of the film, or we can listen to the the weapons manufacturer describing what 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 they do. Oh, yeah. are we going to listen to both anyway at some point? So I guess. So, we should. Yeah, both good. I, said, I prefer the weapons manufacturer. I think, yeah, but. this speaks like a good weapons time. I manufacture and sell weapons. We produce bombers, hydrogen bombs, ray guns, deadly bacteria, antimatter waves, cancerogenic gases, etc. Yeah! <laughs> 
we are experimenting with a drug to create delusions of grandeur. Another drug turns harmless people into wild beasts. The young generation needs arms for its marches and sit-ins. Psychedelic shotguns, grenade necklaces, rock and roll weapons, mystical weapons for Buddhists, Jews, and Christians. So, we've we've learned learned about weapon manufacturing. So. Uh, <laughs> I uh, decided I was going to prepare this a bit in advance, but actually we're, we're going to go and do it blind. Uh, decided this is, this is uh, I mean, this is based on a lot of myths of Holy Mountain, but uh, the main sort of myth, mythos it's based on is the sort of the tradition of the tarot. So I don't know anything about tarot uh, other than a bit of bullshit. But um, but uh, I thought, why not do a tarot reading? So, whoa, cool! Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've always wanted to have a tarot reading, and um, our friend, like Manny Thompson's friend, uh, well, I call her the Vic Meister, uh, Vic. Uh, she, like her, her, her mom was really into that. And I remember she told me that in the student yeah. sheet, students' union one time, and I was like, oh my god, your mom's a fucking crackpot. Well, I didn't say that, obviously, but you know that was that was obviously yeah. what I was getting at. And then she, she basically kind of said. Tarot, tarot reading isn't actually it's not actually about predicting the future it's a form of psychology right um, yeah okay so, I, I can sort yeah. of see that a bit I actually weirdly once after I watched William Martin like a load of people started talking to me about tarot people that sensible mm-hmm. people or I, I actually went to see you guys ever heard of King Khan and the barbecue show they're like this really this, they were playing in Belfast recently it's like a massive massive sort of Canadian guy obviously like maybe Indian uh, Pakistani descent, possibly huge guy, but six foot, massive, like broad shoulder guy, wearing like a coonskin cap and like, uh, like, like dress like a lumberjack, drinking out to the bar, and he's he's king can. But uh, when the um, <clears throat> the show started, he walked out in like a basically like a leather mankini and uh, and like <laughs> superhero boots <laughs> and a cape <laughs> stuff and a gimp mask, and he uh, played a set. He plays guitar and sings and another guy plays guitar and plays drums at the same time which okay. is fucking incredible but uh, he uh, my friend Fiona her housemate he's like a an illustrator and like designer and he was employed he was like contacted by King Khan to like design tarot cards for him because King Khan's mad in the tarot and he was like reading tarot for everybody after the show and stuff and uh, I'm not sure if he's into the spiritual side of it or what but mm-hmm. anyway so we're, we're going to find out a little bit about Tarot here. So, uh, you guys, uh, who wants to go first? Dave. Uh, I don't mind. But I'm sure, <laughs> sure. This, if, if you take turns here, I'm, I'm trusting an app for this. But uh, okay. the app, basically, it gives you three cards. gives you three uh, cards, and it says, choose three cards. So, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, I think maybe Stop we'll choose, 
choose one to begin with. So you've got left, middle, or right? Uh, left. That's okay. You get judgment. Okay. Oh. Uh, so, okay, right. So, yeah, there are now three more cards, so you get to choose another card. So, left, middle, or right? Uh, I'll go right this time. Right, okay. You've got the chariot. And again? Uh, middle. Go for the whole set. Okay. The Wheel of Fortune. Hmm. So, let's see the results. An ad for a dating site. Okay. Chariot. <laughs> the chariot is a card that symbolizes movement, keeping ahead, victory, travel, triumph, overcoming obstacles. It is a card that, t- that is telling you that it's time to take a path where there may, may be obstacles and setbacks, but even if it is a long way, if you put all your effort in, you will reach the end. It can also point out imminent changes, generally positive, as long as you put firmness, control, and effort into it. The victory is at the end of the road. It is up to you to get there. Is that that's, not what's called tomorrow? And that pretty pretty much is. And that's pretty much every every fucking horoscope you've ever read. Uh, judgment was your second card. Uh, it represents a job well done. So well done on choosing the chariot. Uh, awakening. Get what by justice you deserve. Some sense. Uh, realization. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a grammatical nightmare. Uh, it's a card that speaks to those who those plans the project for which those time. What the hell? <laughs> anyway, right, so it's about time to make decisions with your head, logic, everything. So yeah, uh, then Wheel of Fortune. Uh, normally, when this card shows up, it speaks of positive changes, often incidental or products of chance. But even if you can't control them, they usually go in your favor. So I think basically what this means is just do what you're doing. <laughs> In left, middle, or right? Middle. You've got the world. There you go. Okay. Uh, again. Right. Wheel of Fortune. And your third one. Left, middle, or right? Right. Right. Okay. You've got the star. The life projects that you're working on seem to catch on and go in a good direction. So, that's good. Uh, that's not true. Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> uh, incidental or products of chance, but uh, uh, positive changes, if you can't control them, they need to go in your favour. There you go. Uh, the star, blah, 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 uh, represents hope and inspiration. Uh, it is a very good card that infuses faith, believing in yourself, help and despair, suffering and tragedy, to fill your inner, your, your inner with both physical and spiritual good feelings. Filling the soul of pure light. So, there you go. Uh, that's what's going to happen to you guys. <laughs> okay. I'm still, I'm still not really sure what, what exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I assume that would be more dramatic. I thought I thought it might give you like some actual proper life advice, but it's basically just like reading, reading horoscopes. Yeah. I assume there probably is a lot more sort of a, a richness <laughs> to that, that sort of tradition that we're not getting through. For an app for some reason <laughs> yeah I an mean, app that for free from the google store i mean in in real life you you would be dealt the cards and then the person who dealt the cards would would tell you what they were about you wouldn't you know it's not like yeah. as if yeah yeah and they probably would make grammatical mistakes and stuff <laughs> yeah uh yeah okay so the, the tarot myth uh you find your tarot readings probably i don't think it enlightened you anymore about the holy month um I don't know. Do you, do you think that that plays a, a significant part? Do you think if you knew a, a little bit about the tarot, it might might help your understanding of the Holy Mountain, or might even help your enjoyment of it? Or do you think if you knew more about 
about what I was trying to say. Would you enjoy it more or less or or what? I don't know. Are the seven are the seven disciples linked to the tarot characters? I think so. I think they're also maybe linked through astrology. I don't know. It's uh, let me see. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm I'm having a bit of a a bit of a look here because I think I read that somewhere that like um like like the thief like is is the thief a tarot character? Uh, don't know. I yeah, I can't remember. I believe so. I think so. Um, I have this. I have this somewhere. Mm. Fuck. <laughs> I had it somewhere, but um, that's what it was. Uh, it's hard. No, no, I was, I was just remembering that um, it is astrology because the each each of the um, each of the characters is, is is from a planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and for yeah. example, the the weapons manufacturer is from Mars, and isn't Mars the god of war? God of war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it does. It, it ties in in a lot of ways to um, sort of classical mythology and. I think it basically picks its mythologies like yeah. very loosely, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is actually like like another kind of link with like uh, Goethe's Faust because like in in Faust and um, Goethe kind of presents like uh, um, caricatures of like Western culture and like uh, like for example like like the notion of credit and the notion of money is explored. Um, yeah, and, and all these various kind of things, and that's kind of. Um, what Yudorovsky's doing in in the Holy Martin is he kind of presents all these different things. So he presents like religion, Catholicism. He presents like the tarot reading, and there's like various like Eastern things that come into it. I think as well, and um, iconography, and um, it's it's almost like he's kind of presenting like a kind of uh, like a tapestry of all these different kind of ideologies and, and ways of reading the world. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, and then at the end of the film, maybe to kind of suggest, you know. Don't don't read in don't read too much into all these kind of things that are essentially fiction. Yeah. I, do, I do find religious iconography incredibly bizarre. Like because because I, I don't really go to church ever. So any time I find myself in a church, I always find it sort of fascinating. And always yeah. kind of looking around. Um, just even how the priests are dressed and stuff. It's just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you know, they say that uh, say that a lot of that came. Well, I'm not sure if a lot of it came from. From this, or if it was, if it was in some way just related to that, it would, it would, but anyway, it's given, given like more significance because of this fact. But uh, Lent, obviously, people fast and stuff, and Lent now is you know people give up sweets or something. But Lent, I think, in uh, medieval times anyway, was uh, people gave like gave up everything. They just completely fasted, and they like they were really on their by the end of it. And then at Easter, they would go into the church and they'd find the stained glass windows uh, glaring at them and uh, everything is really colourful and stuff again after uh, the church being in sort of darkness for a while because they're so malnourished and like so almost in the brick of death this would like give them a, a, a huge religious experience and then uh, you know all, all that like really garish Im- imagery would like just have this effect on their, their brain that was like just craving like stimulation you know um, and uh it would send people fuck nuts, you know. It would like yeah. give, you know send people into convulsions and stuff, you know. Um, which is is weird. I, I don't know if, if the the idea of fast well, the idea of fasting didn't come from that obviously because the idea of fasting is much older than that. But yeah, it's, it was an interesting use for it, you know, and, and and an interesting use for those all that imagery 
Imagine if you watch the Holy Mountain after fasting for fucking 40 days. You piss yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the kind of film that would probably actually be really, really good to watch if you were really stoned. You could probably just sit back and enjoy it all, really, couldn't you? Yeah, I think quite a few of them took, uh, didn't they take like LSD or mushrooms or something during the filming? That's right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I can't remember what scene was though. Uh, I've got, I think it's on maybe, is it Wikipedia it's on? Um, Yeah, Yudorovsky was instructed by, I think it was some Zen teacher, because he was getting into Zen I think about the time. Um, so he was instructed to take LSD for the purpose of spiritual exploration and then he also administered mushrooms to the actors during the shooting of the death rebirth scene according to Wikipedia anyway is that death rebirth scene what scene is that I'm assuming um, is it or is it the bit um, when they actually reach Lotus Island oh okay and then and and they kind of they they go through that kind of um, Ritual there, actually, yeah. Like we haven't talked about 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 them actually arriving on the island. It's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, they? Yeah. Because, it is, because, yeah. Because they're they're um, presented with this this bar called the Pantheon Bar, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. they all kind of it's it's filled with people who had arrived on Lotus Island with the intention of discovering enlightenment, but who got sidetracked because the bar gives you drugs and sex and all these kind of yeah, you know, yeah. And the fact that it's called the Pantheon as well is like. It seems to say that every religion will distract you from true enlightenment. You know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the most, most simple message from it. But uh, I think there are a lot of other messages from it as well. Drugs will distract you from from true enlightenment, and uh, investing your your faith in a man who can jump through mountains will. Uh, <laughs> all, all this stuff is, is pointless. These guys will not will not give you enlightenment. They'll just give you satisfaction. Yeah, you know, it's like um, earthly. Yeah. And similarly, there's also the fact that, that that the guy they meet, he 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 can only go through things one way, like he, like he can't yeah he sideways can't, he yeah. Can't, can't get to the top of the mountain, but he can walk through the mountain, but he always yeah, he always yeah. has to be on the on the on the on the level of the ground. <laughs> there's actually a really weird bit. Um, whenever they're whenever they're trying to um, climb up the mountain, and one of the girls gets like she's like scared and she can't go any further, and he says he says something like, "Oh, you're not afraid of falling, you're afraid of climbing." <laughs> And then one of them says, "Rub your clitoris against the mountain." That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Forgot about that. <laughs> really weird, isn't it? And then, there, and then there's, yeah. there's, there's like the bit where like the art dealer has like the his installation is like the sex thing. And yeah. it's Basically, like uh, someone has to come. Oh, the, the robot. Someone has to make the thing come. So they put they put <laughs> yeah. the cock under the vagina, and, and like one guy fails, and the other person makes it <laughs> makes it work and stuff. It's just fucking crazy. Yeah. I think that was one of my favorite parts, actually. Just yeah. the, the bizarreness of it. Like, it was so strange. I think that, that's, that's pure Willy Wonka as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, I mean, okay, I got a kind of a Monty Python feel off that for some well, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, like, yeah, I'm sure. Just with that big, like, dildo yeah. phallic thing. It, it really um, reminded me of that uh, Woody Allen film, um, Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, Mention Monty Python. I think it was George Harrison. Was it John Lennon or George Harrison? Are both invested in it? Because George Harrison definitely invested in it, and George Harrison was a big investor in Monty Python as well. He was best mates with uh, Brian Chapman. Uh, Graham Chapman, sorry. So uh, there, I'm sure there was some. There must have been some sort of crossover yeah. influence there. Like, yeah. What was what was George Harrison's 
he had he had a video distribution label. And yeah, they, and they they are the one they are the people who distributed the burning in the UK. Oh yeah, I know. yeah. I can't remember what it was. It, was it called Reprise? Reprise was. I remember Reprise or was Reprise a, a record label at one stage? Maybe it was. Um, oh, it's going to be difficult. Might be the same same company. Might be a different company. So. It's going to be a difficult one to to Google that. But yeah, and 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 did um did did George Harrison like um did he uh, find what did you say, Dave? I've got like well, this is a record label just to find. There's Dark Horse Records. Uh, maybe it was just Dark Horse. I can't remember. Maybe I think it was like yeah, I remember. I can't remember now. But um, yeah, like did he also kind of finance uh, Brazil? So did possibly. It? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Gilliam, like so, yeah. He was well, well in with the Pythons, I think. Yeah. Or some of the Pythons. Yeah, it's one of those one of those ones where like they call him like the 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 sixth Python. Yeah, okay, so I, I I guess we're kind of we're kind of going off key a bit here, so um <laughs> I think maybe maybe take another pee break and we'll, we can listen to that clip that I was talking about earlier on, the uh, the Alchemist speech at the start of the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um okay, cool, here it goes. In all traditions, they speak of holy mountains, the meadow mountain of India, Mount Kuen of the Taoist, the Karakorum of the Himalaya, the mountain of the philosophers, the Rosacrucian mountain, the Kabbalistic mountain of San Juan de la Cruz. There are many other holy mountains. The legend is always the same. Nine immortal men live on top of the mountain. From the highest peak they direct our world. They hold the secret to the conquest of death. They are more than 40,000 years old. But they were once like ourselves. If others have succeeded conquering death, why must we accept it? I know where the immortals live and how to obtain their secret. So the alchemist, uh, the alchemist is is Jodorowsky, obviously, um, or maybe 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 viewers didn't realize that because he doesn't, doesn't advertise it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, do you know actually uh, one interesting point about him though was at the the end near the end where he is decapitated. Apparently, uh, the actor actually accidentally sort of actually hit him with the fake sword and cut his neck and actually nearly killed him. And uh, he said, if that, if that sword hadn't been fake, I, I actually would have been decapitated. Um, he, uh, so, yeah, that, that, that would have been a, a, weird, uh, yeah. a, a weird ending to the movie. But possibly, possibly would have kept that in? I don't know, could they have kept that in? They couldn't have kept that in. No, that would have been kept that in. <laughs> 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 uh, that, yeah, but uh, also... Other thing about the alchemist was when you said at the beginning he was really in the mine, uh, Jodorowsky early in his career. You can see that in the very opening sequences when he's shaving his girl's heads, he's like doing this this thing with his hands. I'm demonstrating you guys over Skype, but obviously listeners can't um, can't see it. But uh, you know he does the thing with his hands where he, like does these really measured, really intricate uh, sort of movements where he like holds a jar above his hand and he moves his hand underneath it and then turns his hand and like turns the jar and all this all this shit and everything is like really calculated and really like gives it a 
a really ritualistic feel, uh, which is, is really works, really cool. Uh, you can see, you can really see the mime coming through there though as well. But at that, I think we we maybe may have climbed the point and got as far as, <laughs> as the summit will allow. Have, have we reached? Uh, have, have we reached cinematic enlightenment? I don't know that we have. Mm, no, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Django was just entered the room, so he might have something to say about it. Real life awaits us. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody Django. He's, he's way under a table. So. We Django. There you go. I will sure sure we'll do our um we'll do our scores and our, and our wrap ups and and then maybe, maybe that'll spark that might that might spark some more um some more conversation about the film. But if not, so be it. Um. So mm-hmm. um. I think. Mi- I think we'll maybe leave uh, Paul to last because you you hadn't actually seen the film, had you? Before you before you chose no, it, no, no. So oh, yeah, so it'd be it'd be good seeing as well as your choice and you'd never seen it. It'd be good to be good to see what, what your final score is. So, Dave, do you yeah. want to give your final score? Uh, it's like a seventeen, isn't it? Yeah, seventeen and a half, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's seventeen. Yeah. I think it's just seventeen. Uh, I think it's sort of just over sort of maybe fifty percent or so. Uh, I'd like to give it maybe nine, give about sixty, wouldn't it? Okay. Well, yeah, nine. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go? You, you've got nine seconds. Um, are you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Uh, I can't really add much more than what I said in the intro, but uh, just I think it's more entertaining upon reflection. Uh, but it's difficult to watch. Done in one sitting. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I'll give mine. Uh, Do any of you guys have a stopwatch? Have you got one, D? Uh, no, I've got. Okay, I've got one. Uh, um, my score will be. It would be just under fifty percent, wouldn't it? Uh, ten. Ten? Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Go. It was a bit of a chore to watch at the time, but on reflection, I I have taken quite a lot of stuff from it, and I can see why it might be some, someone's best film. I think um, it's... Stop. Yeah, def- <laughs> definitely not enough time for me to, <laughs> for me to give my, my actual opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul? Okay. I'm gonna give it. Uh, I think I'm gonna give it thirteen. So, uh, I mean, see. I, um, kind of on reflection, I think maybe ten was maybe a bit, maybe a bit uh, cruel. But I th- but I think it 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 kind of it kind of ref- for me it, it it kind of reflects the fact that like I'm I'm in no rush to watch it again. So that's why I went for the same sort of score. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So thirteen. Okay, thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, I think it was a, a visually stunning movie. I think it had a lot of a lot of intellectual and mythological depth, but I think at sometimes that depth became sort of became possibly risk of being academic. But, uh, it uh, yeah, I liked Done. it. <laughs> it's good. It's succinct. <laughs> and like also, I think maybe like because I think we tried to arrange to record this podcast maybe three or four times but just stuff just kept getting in the way just you know life but um yeah um and i think i think maybe if if if, if, 
if I'd only just watched it yesterday, it would probably be uh, I, I would probably appreciate it a lot more, and I would probably have a lot more to say about it, and I'd probably remember a lot more. But I but I do remember whenever we whenever we first watched El Topo in Glasgow all those years ago, um, we we really enjoyed it, and we were really we were really taken aback by it. And whenever I watched Santa Sangre for the first time, I loved it. Um, and I and I think maybe it's just with with the Holy Martin, it was one of those things, you know, like um, if you watch, if you're sitting watching a film, you're enjoying it. But if someone says that you have to watch a film because you have to do a review and you've got a deadline, yeah. it, it becomes a chore. Mm. And you sit and play yeah. with your phone and you search on Twitter <laughs> and you check your Facebook and you you know, you're vibing people and you're not really paying attention and then you've missed stuff and then yeah, I think yeah. I think yeah the, actually the first time i watched it i was i was in a pub for somebody's birthday party and i came home about 10 o'clock and i got myself a kebab and i was like this is the first kebab i've had in fucking ages i'm gonna really enjoy this and <laughs> watching it and i was honest this kebab has become a true because i have to not pay attention to it and pay attention to this fucking movie yeah, I think uh, it's been. Diff- I think it's been difficult as well. Try because usually uh, whenever we do this, I, I try and do some research, but it's been difficult for me with what happened over the weekend. So <laughs> uh, I've just been reading articles constantly on everything that's unfolded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, I find it hard to drag my interest away from that at the minute. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, it was exactly the same. I have plans to like you know drop up a, a sort of like. Jodorowsky based quiz for you guys and then when Brexit happened and my entire life has been sucked into the fucking yeah. of the European Union so. mm, yeah and I it's mean, gonna be all week there's gonna be more and more stuff yeah um, I mean like I I just hope, uh, Paul, that you, you know, like you, you kind of feel we we did your choice justice because it's it's it, it wouldn't be very nice to kind of pick your film and then just everyone kind mm-hmm. of not really. Oh, yeah. I think uh, I think we've we've all all done it the, the, as much justice as we can. There are probably people at home who love this movie going like, "You guys are fucking idiots!" <laughs> but if you're saying that, uh, we're sorry. We we give it our best. We've uh, we've tried to unpick a, a very 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 complex movie while drunk and uh, discuss it while even drunker. <laughs> so, Deputy um, D sober, but he has has been drunk. Um few days <laughs> yeah. we're actually all in in sort of in shock at, uh, at certain current events so uh so fuck you have some sensitivity <laughs> for christ's sakes unless anyone else has anything to say it's it's my choice for next next time yeah yeah okay so i'm I, 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 huh? I, i'm open i'm really open at something it's something like fucking. I can just inject into my eyeballs after after this, like <laughs> as much as I did enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I well, said the Aristocats. <laughs> the Aristocats, brilliant. Um, yeah. Well, I was in two minds. I had two. I had two choices, and um, I've, I've, my decision was made throughout the course of this podcast because we talk about we talked about tarot cards, and tarot cards right. appear in the film that I have chosen. And the film I have chosen is... But what, what did you reject, first of all? Um, I don't know whether or not to tell you, because that'll probably be my next choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the film is um, Joe D'Amato's Anthropophagus. Ah, oh, cool. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Yeah, which is just fucking good. brilliant mm-hmm. in so on so many levels in kind of, oh my God, this is horrendously shit, to, oh my God, I can't believe they're... <laughs> 
they're showing a man ripping a fetus out of a woman and eating it to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> to you know it, it, it's just classic 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 Italian just, splatter film just and it was like a GMTV what so, <laughs> just like GMTV <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was a it was a big 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 video nasty film at the time, and um, actually when it came out, um, the BBC um, on the news at ten reported that it was a snuff film. I think I think they they BBC oh, actually yeah. thought it was a snuff film. Um, so yeah, so we got that that to look forward to. Uh, yeah. But uh, have either of you guys there, seen uh, seen Anthropophagus? No, I haven't seen it. No, no. Um, it, it was no, it was Cannibal Holocaust, wasn't it? That they ended up in a court court case because of the. Yeah. Film. And Driller Killer as well, did they... Was there some sort of like court case over a snuff film, or am I just getting like, confused with Calvin Holocaust? I'm not yeah, sure. Not sure. I don't think, I don't think a, a Driller Killer was confused as a snuff film, no. I don't think so. Uh, maybe, uh, I, think, uh, I think somebody maybe told me that but when I was really young. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've got, that, got that, that to look forward to, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, uh, unless anyone has has anything to add, that's that's another episode done. Um, ap- apologies if you're a regular listener and um, this. I <laughs> know, <laughs> regular listener. <laughs> but apologies if you are a regular listener and this this episode is slightly disjointed. We it's been like four months last did a podcast, so I think we're out of out of step yeah. a bit. And um, the fact that we picked uh, such a an esoteric, abstract. Modernist film didn't didn't really help. Yeah, things. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess just left to say thanks. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, if indeed anyone is, and um, goodbye from me. And I guess it's it's goodbye from young David and young Paul. Yep. Yeah. Jeez.